Jesus is your glory. And Jesus is your crown. Jesus is your pride. This is what you can take pride in always. That Jesus came down from the highest of the high places to come to us in the lowest of the low places to raise us up to life. This is where our pride is. And this is so freeing when we think about this in our lives. Because what this means, when we take pride in Jesus, when our boast is Jesus, we can be proud. this morning we got in front of us a reading from Matthew chapter 12. We'll be continuing on in our sermon series in this chapter. And I'll ask that you stand with me as we read this reading um, out of respect for the works and words that Jesus spoke. We'll read Matthew chapter 12 verses 22 through 29. Then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could talk and see. All the people were astonished and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. This is the gospel of our Lord. You can go ahead and be seated. Locked in. That's what life was like for this man. We have a little bit of experience from the last year and a half about what it's like to be locked down, but this man was locked in to his own body. He was blind and mute. You know what that is? You know what that is? That's the world's smallest, darkest, most claustrophobic prison. It's a prison the size of the man's own body. He wasn't able to see every time information visual information came into his optical nerve. It was blocked from getting to his brain. By what? By a demon. 
a demon was blocking his vision. He was being deprived by this demon of ever seeing a sunset or of seeing an ocean view or of seeing his family's smiling faces. He was blocked from all that. He was deprived of his main sense of physical input, and it wasn't just that. He was also blocked of his main source of output. He wasn't able to speak. I mean, you can imagine how many things, thoughts, feelings, emotions are boiling up inside this man. Every I love you, every here's what I think, every here's what I need gets stopped before any syllable hits the air. He was blind and mute, trapped inside a prison the size of his own body, oppressed by a demon that was doing this to him, and Jesus cast that demon out so that the man could see and so that the man could speak. Can you imagine what it must have been like to be there? To put yourself in the shoes of the crowd that was there, imagining, could this be the son of David? You'd figure that everybody who had half a heart who was there would be rejoicing utterly to see this man released from his prison, but not everybody was rejoicing. Matthew tells us what the Pharisees said. They got up in front of the crowd that was wondering if this could be the son of David, and this is what they said. It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. I think you can recognize that this is huge. This is the worst thing that could have been said at this moment. It wasn't as if the Pharisees saw this from the crowd, raised their eyebrows and grumbled under their breath and went on their way, but they became activists in this moment. They stood up in front of a crowd and rebranded Jesus. And they branded him with evil, with the devil. They called him a person that was in league with Beelzebul. And yes, Beelzebul is a name for Satan, but it's a particularly foul word for Satan. You know what Beelzebul means? It means that they were calling Jesus the Lord of the Flies. The king of the dung heap. The ruler of the insects buzzing around the porta potty on a hot summer day. That's what they were calling Jesus. And why were they calling him this? Because he had released a man from his physical prison. How messed up is that? You know, really, it's it's actually pretty easy to understand where this is coming from in the Pharisees. If you were to go back and read the entire book of Matthew and read specifically for what it is in the Pharisees that was causing them to hate Jesus this much, I think you'd be able to pick up on it pretty easily. The first time that the Pharisees had an issue with Jesus was when Jesus was with John the Baptist. 
And John the Baptist pronounced that Jesus baptizes for the forgiveness of sins. And then the wine of the Pharisees grows even louder when Jesus is out in his ministry and he tells a man, your sins are forgiven. And then the Pharisees begin calling Jesus names as he heals two men who were blind and gives them their sight and gives another man who is mute his words back. And then they go full nuclear here in this account as Jesus drives out a demon. Why are they doing this? It's because there was one thing about Jesus that they could not handle. He was taking away their authority and their pride. Because when it came to forgiveness of sins, when it came to sin, Jesus was always only one thing. Forgiving. And the Pharisees could not handle that. Do you know what's behind the Pharisees' hate of Jesus? Do you know what's behind the hate of most every person in the world? It's pride. It's pride. It was the pride of the Pharisees that Jesus was threatening in this account. It's pride that does that to us. It's pride that makes us feel like we are allowed to get all uppity like that, that gives us the right to be self-righteous in ourselves. It's pride that gets people so incensed when they learn what Jesus wants to offer them. Jesus, you want to heal me? How dare you? I don't need to be healed. I need to be loved just as I am. And Jesus, you want to forgive me? You must be from the devil. Because I don't need to be forgiven. I need to be accepted. It's pride that does that in our hearts. It's always been pride. Did you know that pride was the original sin in the Garden of Eden? It was pride that, de that the devil tempted Eve with. He tempted her to want to be better than God. It was pride that, the, that was the original sin. It was pride, it is pride that is the mother of all sin. It's pride. And this is what pride is in our lives. This is your first sermon note today. We're doing something new uh, if you'd like to take notes on the sermon this morning, you can do so on the back side of your worship card. And this is your first sermon note. This is what pride is. Pride is obsession with ourselves. Pride is obsession with ourselves. And I'll tell you why I'm defining pride like that. It's because we normally think of pride as a, as a deep feeling of superiority to the people around you. But that's not completely accurate. Because pride, as well as a feeling of superiority, can also be manifested as a feeling of inferiority to other people. Pride is obsession with ourselves. It's obsession with the way that people see us, with the way that we're viewed, with the way that we're respected. And today we're going to talk about what that looks like in our lives today. 
It's not going to be fun, but we got to do it so that we can see what our pride truly is. This is going to sound familiar. What pride does in our lives is it creates a world that is as small as ourselves. Pride prevents us from seeing past ourselves and it prevents us from speaking outside of ourselves. Pride makes us spiritually blind and spiritually mute. I I mean, think about it. What is it that prevents you from saying some things to people? What is it that makes us unable to be emotionally vulnerable with people? I mean, what is that? What is it that prevents us from apologizing to someone that we've wronged and that we care about? What is that? It's pride. It's pride that stops us from giving away that little bit of dignity. And what stops us from complimenting someone and building someone up that needs to be built up? It's pride. And what is it that causes us to get all dark and petty in our minds and think such horrible things about people? It's pride. It mutes us and it also blinds us. I'll tell you what I mean when I say that. Pride blinds us. It prevents us from seeing people as people who need to be invested in and loved and known truly. Pride makes us see people as marks to measure ourselves against. To see whether we are superior or or inferior to them. Pride prevents us from seeing other people. And here's maybe the most insidious part for us this morning. Pride makes us blind to ourselves. It prevents us from seeing ourselves clearly. Did you know that pride is probably the greatest cause of spiritual anxiety in our lives? What does pride say in our hearts? Pride stands up in the pulpit of our hearts and it tells us, I know what's best for my life. And when things don't go according to the way that we've planned our lives to go, then what happens? All of a sudden, we're strapped into an emotional roller coaster where one minute we're flying high and things are going great and then somebody, maybe we don't even know this person, they look at us the wrong way and we are suddenly filled with self-doubt and regret and self-loathing and we just want to crawl into a hole somewhere. That's pride too. It has to do with how we want people to see us. That's what pride does in our lives. Here's your second sermon note. Pride makes us spiritually blind and mute. Pride makes us spiritually blind and mute. And if you have any little bit of pride in your heart this morning, and I know you do because I know that I do, then I have really good news for you. And I'm really excited to share, you, share with you where this good news in the, is in this text. You know where the good news lies in this text? 
It's in the fact of how quickly Matthew moves past the first miracle. We have this amazing miracle where Jesus drives out a demon and the man is able to see and speak and Matthew blows past it. There's no dialogue between Jesus and the demon. There's no dialogue between Jesus and the man. There's no explanation for how it all happens. Matthew just says it happens. He uses 16 Greek words and then he moves right on to the next thing. And why does he do that? Because he wants to show you something about Jesus. He tells us that Jesus knew what was in the hearts of the Pharisees. And yet, he spoke to them. And yet he cared about them and loved them and taught them. We can see here, Matthew is showing us here that Jesus loves prideful people. He moves from the first miracle so quickly onto the second miracle. He moves from the first important thing right onto the second more important thing to show us that Jesus loves prideful people. And I don't have to tell you what that means for you. Jesus loves you. He loves you. And you need to get that today. Because what your pride is after in the world, what it's always been after, is it's wanting to be known. To be known, to be loved, to be noticed, to be respected and honored. And it is my privilege to share with you today that in Jesus Christ, you have been. You have been loved and honored and respected by Jesus Christ himself, not just by a passerby on the street, not just by your boss at work, but by the greatest ruling power in the universe. That's in our text for today. Matthew talks about how big this is that Jesus loves us. He tells us in verse 28, he says, The kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus, the highest of the high, loves you. And he did something for you. And it was a lot better than him just liking an Instagram post of yours or sending you an inspirational text message. He became something for you. He became the lowest of the lows. Do you know how far Jesus went to save you? He allowed himself to be called the Lord of the Flies and the king of the dung heap for you. He came down off of his throne in heaven and he sunk down and he sunk and he sunk and he sunk to be born in a manger. And then he sunk again to homelessness during his ministry. And then he sunk again to death on a cross. And then he sunk and he sunk and he sunk to us who were living without him under the wrath of God and he came to forgive us. 
to forgive us. I want you to know this today, that you have been forgiven by Jesus. I want you to know this for your pride. Here's your last sermon note for today. Did you know this? That you were built for pride. You were. You were built for pride. That's why it's so natural for pride to be hanging out in our hearts because we were built for it. This is scriptural. The Bible tells us that we are vessels for glory and that we are vessels for the praise of God. And this text tells us that we were designed to be God's household where Jesus can live. It means that you can be proud. You can be proud today. And you can be proud of this. That Jesus came down from heaven and he gave up his life to give you life. Jesus is your glory. And Jesus is your crown. Jesus is your pride. This is what you can take pride in always. That Jesus came down from the highest of the high places to come to us and the lowest of the low places to raise us up to life. This is where our pride is. And this is so freeing when we think about this in our lives because what this means, when we take pride in Jesus, when our boast is Jesus, we can be proud without having all the cockiness. And we can be confident without having to compare ourselves to other people. And you can be secure in yourself without having to ride an emotional roller coaster and you can apologize to people without having to give up any of your dignity or self-worth. You can see people And you can speak to people, you can speak that compliment, you can speak those words that will build someone else up. And how can you do that? It's because when Jesus is your pride, you don't need anybody else's praise. You don't need anybody else's glory. Because you already have Jesus' glory. You already have the one who is on high in heaven caring about you, loving you, knowing you, respecting you. Jesus is your pride. And so I got to close this sermon in this way. The Pharisees stood up in front of a crowd of people and rebranded Jesus as evil. And so I got to end this sermon by standing in front of this crowd of people and rebranding Jesus. We cannot leave him as Beelzebul. I want to leave you with Jesus' proper titles. This is the one who has loved you, who has forgiven you, who has died for you, and who has rose for you. He is Lord of Lords. He is King of Kings. He is my Savior.
He is my light and my life and my salvation. He is my only pride. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to be set free today and we only are set free through you. Some of us in this room, we struggle with feelings of superiority to others. Lord, we see how destructive that is in our lives. We see how hurtful that is in our lives. Lord, turn us to you. Lord, some of us in this room struggle with feelings of worthlessness, feelings of inferiority. Lord, turn us to you. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, who is our glory and who is our crown and who is our Savior. It is in your great name we pray.